if you have a Bible, if I could encourage you to turn in it or turn it on to Luke chapter 23, and if you're using one of the Pew Bibles, if you want to turn to page 884. One of the things that I really like about our worship center, a year after our flood kind of forced us and allowed us to recover and renovate it, is the prominence of the crosses. Now, that's not because I have some aesthetic bent toward crosses. I have enough trouble saying the word aesthetic, yet alone to know what that means. But it's really about so much more than just the appearances and just seeing the cross. See, I believe that the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ is way more important, way more important than you and I often realize, that you and I often grasp. Sometimes we just look at the cross and go, oh yeah, Jesus died on the cross for our sins. Great, I've got the cross, let's move on. The cross is so much more than that. It is that. It is true that Jesus died on the cross for our sins, but it is so much more than that. Okay, the Bible would tell us in verses like Romans chapter 5, verse 8, that the cross is a declaration of God's love that while we were yet sinners, as Susanna read, Christ died for us. One of the reasons why I am so glad, I am glad the, the crosses are so prominent and you can see them anywhere you are in the room is because they are a tangible reminder to you and me that God loves us. And that is not insignificant. That's not something to skate over or luge over or whatever, jump over if you want to use different Olympic themes today. We have to see that. But I also want you to understand there's even more to the cross than that. Yes, He loves us. Yes, Jesus died for us. That's true. Yes, He loves us. But there's even more. If you go back to this summer, last summer when we went through this book of 1 John and 1 John chapter 4 verses 9 to 11, we, we learned that it's not just about God declaring His love. He does want to do that, but the reason He declares His love is He ultimately wants to lead us to life. You see, the God who loved us, that made the cross happen, that His Son died in our place for us, He didn't just do that so we could go, wow, God did that, that was cool. No, He did that so that you and I could really live life. The cross ultimately isn't just about a moment in time. It is about the totality of our lives. And because of that, now, between now and Easter Sunday, what we're going to do is we're going to, in essence, listen to what I would call, listen the final words of Jesus. The words that Jesus, not, well, the final words on the cross. He said words after He rose again, but His final words as He completed His earthly ministry. We want to listen to His final words. And we really, in the process of doing that, hopefully two things will happen. One will be that we will have a deepened sense of how much God loves us but also then how much He loves people. That there's people that aren't in this room right now. There's people that don't know yet that God loves them and they need to know that. We need to get that in our lives. At the same time, sort of connected to that, we also want this time of looking at the cross to help us realize this impacts our lives. And somehow what the cross does and what the cross means and all of it impacts and should impact our lives from this moment forward so that our lives are not the same. The cross changes everything. Now to do that, 
to look at these final words of Jesus, which have so much to say to us. We, we're going to kind of work through, uh, in essence, Jesus' crucifixion process sort of chronologically. And we're going to look at these seven saints. Now, to do that, because of the way the Gospels are written, we're going to bounce around from Gospels to Gospels, okay? This week and next week, we'll, we'll be in Luke chapter 23. Then we'll be bouncing around, and eventually we're actually going to come back to Luke. But we're going to move around. So to get us started this morning, what I want to do is I want you to read with me Luke chapter 23, verses 32 to 34. They read this way. Two others were who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments." Okay, so today what we want to do is we want to hear Jesus saying those words, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Now, to do that, what we want to do is really look at sort of what I would call sort of two sort of big, sort of big picture telescopic truths, things we need to kind of see with the telescope so we can see all of it, and then also sort of two sort of zoomed in, very personal, sort of laser pointing things into our souls that are kind of we have to see with a microscope, but we need to see it to kind of help us see that. So jumping in, telescope truth number one, coming out of those words of Jesus, I want us to get this, that Jesus did what he taught. Okay, Jesus literally did what he taught. Every now and then, and there is some repetitive to it in my life, I will read accounts of what historians think was involved in the crucifixion process. And every time I read those things, my stomach turns a little and I find myself a little bit in horror of what a group of people would do to another person. I mean, I can't, it's hard for me to fathom how someone could do that to somebody else. I mean, the agony and the, and the, the pain connected to the cross is, is almost unfathomable, Okay? And if you want to read, there's medical people that write about all the things that Jesus would have experienced. And it is hard, and I know it's getting closer to lunchtime, so I need to be careful what I say here. But it's hard, it's difficult, it's incredible. And when I read those things, sometimes every now and then I wonder, like, what would it be like to be the one that had the nails driven into you? What would that feel like that the crown on the head, the beating on the bat, what would that be like? And I wonder a little bit, I mean, if, if, if you were there and kind of, we can't be in Jesus', in Jesus shoes but, or his sandals, but to be in the sandals of one of the criminals, what would you be thinking? What would be going through your mind as they're doing this to you? I mean, I'm wondering, would you be incredibly angry with the executioners or would you be begging for mercy? I mean, which would you and I be doing? The funny thing is, is when you read the account in the gospel, Jesus not doing either one. He's praying. He's praying for them. And you say, why? Why did he do that? 
because that's exactly what he told his disciples to do when they were being persecuted according to Luke chapter 6 verses 27 and 28. These are Jesus' words to people. Listen. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. Even in this moment of excruciating pressure, incredible pain, what does Jesus do? He lives out what he commanded. He does the very thing he said to do. And in doing that, I want you to understand this. In doing that, Jesus is showing love. Daryl Bach, who is a professor at Dallas Seminary, says that intercession is one of the highest forms of love. Intercession is one of the highest forms of love. I don't want any of us to miss the weight of that expression. See, on the cross, Jesus was declaring to you and me His love. And what's amazing to me is it wasn't a moment in time, oh, I showed you I loved you. That expression of love, that display of love continues today. It keeps going on. Romans chapter 8 verse 34 tells us that Jesus right now is at the right hand of the Father and what's He doing? He is not watching the Olympics. He is literally interceding for His people. Now, by His people, when we say His people, the Bible means to be a people of God, to be a people of Jesus, is you've turned from sin to God and you've trusted the Lord Jesus. And what I want you to understand this morning is right now, Jesus is declaring His love. He's expressing His love because He's praying for you. He's literally interceding for you and me. I think we need to get that. But there's also an implication that I think Luke 6 and Luke 23 point to. I don't think we can afford to miss. I think we need to get this morning. If Jesus was living out the words of Luke 6 in the context of Luke 23, then guess what you and I should be doing? We should be living out Luke 6 too. We should follow the example of Jesus. And I think the cross is really pointing us. That's how to live life. You live life by loving those who abuse you, by praying for them. So I want to ask you to do something. I'm going to guess there's at least one person in this room that has somebody that pushes your buttons, that frustrates you, that upsets you, that maybe feels like they're your enemy. And here's what I think how you and I can show love to that kind of a person. When they pop to mind, have they popped to mind? When they pop to mind, don't use that to nurse a grudge. Don't try to figure out to fantasize how you'd get revenge on them. Don't let that fuel anger towards them. But when they pop to mind, pray. Right then, right now, for them. The cross, I think, is pointing us. That's how we should live life. That was telescope truth number one. 
Telescope truth number two that we get out of this story is that prophecy is being fulfilled. I think we need to see in this story, in this event, prophecy is being fulfilled. You see that the prayer that Jesus offered in verse 34 wasn't accidental. It wasn't like Jesus went, oh wow, I haven't had my quiet time yet today. I better pray. Or, wow, somebody told me when you're in a tough spot you should pray. Hmm, now's the good time. No, that prayer was not accidental. It was planned in advance over 700 years earlier. Look at Isaiah chapter 53, verse 12. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sins of many. But notice this. And what? Makes intercession for the transgressors. Why point out those last words of verse 12? Why, why even mention that? So I want you to see this. Even in the face of evil and brutal horror, all the things that are coming at Jesus, even in that moment, God's plan and power are still operative. This isn't catching God off guard. It's still here. He's still present. See, life can feel very sneaky at times. It can seem underhanded. It can seem harsh. And sometimes life seems to bring with it immeasurable heartache. And it can do all of those things. Certainly, I think you could say that's describing the cross, and yet God's still present. God's plan is still unfolding. See, He's not only present when things happen, but God's plan was unfolding even in the midst of all that evil. If you and I could get in a time machine and travel back and be there sort of as eyewitnesses of the cross, not knowing the rest of the story, I think we would stand there and go, this is chaos. This is nuts. I mean, Jesus was the one they were praising at the triumphal entry, and now they're killing him. What is going on? This makes no sense. Too often our lives can feel like there's chaos. But in the midst of your chaos, please hear the cross decree. Please hear Jesus pray and realize God's plan is still unfolding. Chaos is never final. God's plan, God's purpose, God's kingdom is final. It's not always easy for us, but I think we need to understand that He's final. His presence, God's presence and plan will come to completion and will you and I wait between the chaos of our lives and that completion? We have His presence and we have His love and we cling to those and we go forward. Let's go away from the telescope and let's kind of zoom in on some things that may make, they made me uncomfortable this week, so enjoy. Microscope truth number one, we are blind. We are blind. Zoom in with me. 
to the words of the prayer again in verse 34. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. The words, they know not what they do, convey a sense of ignorance. Jesus is saying these people are pretty confident they know exactly what they're doing. And Jesus is saying, "Um, Father, you and I both know they have absolutely no idea what they're doing. And you say, where did Jesus, what did he mean by saying they were ignorant? I mean, they've done crucifixion before. Okay, this was not the first time that a crucifixion had taken place. This was a regular thing that kind of happened. This was the regular spot it took place. They know this stuff. What do you mean they don't know what they're doing? Well, look at verses 35 to 38 with me. And when the people stood by watching, the rulers scoffed at him saying, he saved others, let him save himself if he is the Christ of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, if you're the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him, this is the king of the Jews. The people there, the the rulers and, and the soldiers, they were very certain Jesus was no king, he was no Messiah, so killing him really was a non issue. They were just doing what they needed to do. I mean, given how smart they were, how sure they were, they were doing what was right. But here's the reality. They didn't recognize Jesus even though His business card was literally above His head. I mean, the sign says, this is the King of the Jews. Now, there's a whole lot more you could add to Jesus' business card. But what was above his head was 100% true, and they didn't recognize it. You say, well, maybe Jesus hid his identity. Well, really quickly, let me just, four quick stories from the Gospel of Luke. Luke chapter 3, Jesus gets baptized. If you remember the story, if you don't remember it, go home and read Luke 3 to 7 today. It won't take you that long. But in Luke chapter 3, Jesus is baptized by John the Baptist. Everybody was thinking, John, are you the Savior? Are you the Messiah? And John's like, no, not me. And that story ends, and guess who shows up to be baptized? Jesus. And a dove comes down, and a voice from heaven says, this is my beloved Son. And the fact that it was recorded would suggest Jesus wasn't the only one that heard it. A whole lot of people heard that story. What about in Luke chapter 4, Jesus heal, or Jesus kicks out some demons. There were witnesses to that. Or in Luke chapter 5, there's a crowd of people. Jesus is teaching. The house is kind of crowded. So these guys rip a hole in the roof with Jesus, in essence, enemies of Jesus right there in the room. They see the guy lower down. That would be really weird. I was just thinking if that happened in here this morning. Also, it would get really cold in the room really quick. But maybe that would be a good thing. But Jesus heals the guy, and he gets up and walks out. You don't think somebody went, hey, hang on a second. 
Or if that wasn't enough, then in Luke chapter 7, what does Jesus do to the widow's son who's dead? He touches him, brings him back to life. Jesus had made his identity really pretty clear. But they just didn't seem to see it. The clarity of the story of Jesus shared by Luke and the ignorance of the people in Luke 23 make us face, I think, a penetrating truth about all of us. On our own, apart from the Lord Jesus, we are spiritually blind. There is within us a blindness. And that blindness is acute enough that we can live life and not even be aware of it. And if you're blind and you're not aware of it, not only do you have a challenge of facing being ignorant, but we're also going to be arrogant because we're so smart we've got it all figured out. There are two verses in Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 12, and Proverbs chapter 16, verse 25 that say the exact same thing. I believe those verses should make a shudder. Let me read from chapter 12, chapter 14, excuse me. There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. Jesus' mockers were pretty sure they had it all figured out. They were right. They knew. There's a way that seems right to a man. But that was not the case. The first of Jesus' final words tell us that on our own we have a problem. Let me just make it clear. I don't really like particularly to sit and ponder the fact that I'm spiritually blind. There's a spiritual blindness within me that there's a, a bent that way that I've, I can go there really easily. And, and just so you know, I am not necessarily really excited this morning to stand up here and say, hey, idiot, you're blind and you don't even know it. Okay, this is not me feeling really particularly good right now. but I think we need to face the fact that one of the things the cross points us to is that there is a blindness within us that apart from the Lord Jesus, we will be in enormous trouble. We will be arrogant. We will be ignorant. And we'll be walking around like the emperor with no clothes, really impressed with ourselves when everybody else is going, did you catch that idiot? Folks, I think there's some implications out of this truth that we're blind without Jesus that we better pay attention to. Some huge implications that I think should mark our lives very quickly. There's a bunch of them. At least there was a bunch for me. So this is my list. Enjoy. We need to realize how incredibly dangerous and how incredibly easy it is for us to be arrogant. To think we've got it all figured out. 
Part of what the blindness says, part of what the cross says, is we need to be humble. And we need to get help. Another implication. As a church, we say that we, we want to be people who trust the Bible. Why would we want to trust the Bible? Well, here's one reason why we need to trust the Bible. Because we really need help. And the Bible, in a sense, is God's help to us. Are we going to take the time to get ourselves in it so we can get God's help from it? Another implication. How incredibly, critically important it is for us to listen. I confess that I have brought too much heartache to too many people because I don't have, I have not listened well. I have been an arrogant hearer. I haven't been a humble listener. And the cross is telling us you really want it. Here's what life points to. Lloyd, the cross points you to be a humble listener. Another implication. The Bible says we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And you're like, hey, I'm doing okay in life. Why do I really need to be filled by the Holy Spirit? Because we desperately need His guidance and direction in our lives, and I don't know if we realize that. Too many of us in this room, it's too easy to be arrogant because we're educated, because we're skilled, because we can do things. One final implication. Please know that at times, God is going to call each and every single one of us to speak to somebody else so that they can humbly listen. That is a high and holy calling. And we better not be flippant about it. We better be careful with the words that come out of our mouths. Microscope truth number two. We have a huge need. You and I have an enormous need. Here's the thing. We're blind and we don't even know it. Which means it's going to be really easy for us to sin and and do things that hurt other people and hurt ourselves and dishonor God off the charts. That's not a good place to be. But what's even worse is in some ways to have a problem and not even be aware of our awareness. Not even be aware we have a problem. Quick aside. One of the things the Holy Spirit does in the lives of both unbelievers and believers is to bring conviction of sin. In John chapter 16, verses 8 to 11, the Bible tells us, Jesus tells us literally, that the Holy Spirit in the lives of unbelievers wants to bring conviction of sin, righteousness, and judgment to make us aware of the problem so that an unbeliever knows they have a problem, that a believer, he's still going to convict us so that we know, hey, you're operating out of blindness again. He's going to do those things in our lives. That's an incredible gift from God. But here's the thing, even when we are convicted, there's still a problem. We're still blind. Now we just know we're blind. Now we just know why our head hurts because we keep running into the wall. 
but we still can't find the doorway. Look at verse 34 again. Zoom in and focus in on the prayer of Jesus again. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. But look at the first three words. Father, forgive them. Jesus knows our need. We have a huge need, but he knows it. And I think in the prayer, he is praying for the solution. His prayer points us to the solution. As blind sinners, what do we need? We need forgiveness. The biggest need of every person you see is they need forgiveness. They need God's forgiveness in their lives, and Jesus is praying for that. Now, to back up just for a second to this idea of God's love that we talked about at the beginning. God's love for us, okay? Jesus' words in verse 34 kind of show us, hey, he's showing us love. He's showing us love by praying for us, by offering us a solution. But we need to understand that for that solution to be real, he had to die. Out of love for you, the Lord Jesus died to provide you the solution you needed. I mean, get this. He saw your need. You were blind. He knew that. And he's prayed for the solution to that, even though you were arrogant. And then, knowing that the only way the solution was going to come to be is if he died, so he died for the solution. He died so you could receive the very thing you desperately need. He died for you. Here's the question. What are you going to do with his solution? What are you doing with what Jesus did for you? Folks, there are two big questions that I believe we need to come back to again and again and again and again. And they really flow out of Jesus' solution. So here they are. Big question number one would be this. Have you received the solution of trusting the Lord Jesus as your Savior? Have you done that? Have you trusted Him? And that's a closed question. It's either yes or no. Those of you that were in one of the 9 a.m. classes, you will appreciate it's a yes or no answer. Second question that flows out of that, if you say, yes, I have done that, then the next question on you, on me, biblically, is are you sharing that solution? See, the Bible says if you've been reconciled, you are now an agent of reconciliation. It's not some people are agents of reconciliation. It's we all are. We have a huge need. He met the need. What are you doing with that solution? You know, we said at the beginning that the cross is about more than just Jesus dying. It's about God's love. And it's also about really points us that love pointing us to here's how you live life. So really quickly, to finish this up, to, to wrap this up, how do those words of Luke 23, 34, how do they make a difference in our lives right now, today, but also tomorrow? Two differences. Difference number one, you are truly forgiven. In Christ, you're truly forgiven. 
A few months after Luke 23, Peter spoke to a crowd of people after Jesus' death, after Jesus' resurrection. Peter spoke to this huge crowd of people, probably people that were, some of them may have been at the crucifixion. And he said these words to them in Acts chapter 3, verses 17 to 19. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance. I know you're blind in essence, as did also your leaders. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets that His Christ would suffer, He thus fulfilled. What should I do then? Repent, therefore, and turn back that your sins may be blotted out. For blind and ignorant people, God had a plan that included Jesus dying on the cross for our sins. God brought that plan to pass. And he did that so that we could experience freedom. Okay, the words in Luke 23, 34 point us towards that. Point us towards you and I can have freedom. We can have that. But they just point to that. They tell us you could have that. Here in Acts, Paul or Peter's kind of making it more clear. Here's how you receive it. Here's how you take something that you possibly could have so you really have it, and that is you repent of your sins. For forgiveness to be full and complete, you must repent of your sins. And when you repent of your sins, what does it say happens? Your sins are blotted out. It's as if they were written on a sheet of paper, and then the ink is gone. That really is the word picture. The ink is completely gone. You can't even see a mark in the paper. There's no indent even. It's gone. It means you're free. Do you realize that's a difference literally to you and me today? We can be free. If you've trusted Christ, if you've turned from sin to God, that's what it means to repent. You're truly forgiven. That's where the cross is pointing to. Difference number two, you and I are also equipped to forgive. We're equipped to forgive. Now, this side of the return of the Lord Jesus, life's not going to be perfect. Part of what that means is you and I are going to sin. Part of it means we're going to be sinned against. And one of the harder things in all of life to do is to forgive someone when they've hurt us, especially when they may have done something that seems inexcusable, off the charts. How could I ever forgive that? It's not easy to forgive. It's not simple. And if you want to add a little rub to that, forgiving someone that makes it a little harder is people, and let's be very clear, people like you and me, are really good, we're skilled at blaming, we're skilled at making excuses, we don't seem to be quite as skilled as bending a knee and saying, I am sorry, I apologize, I repent. We just, we're not really good at that. So a lot of times when you and I have things happen to us, we're kind of caught in between the, I've been hurt, what do I do? How do I go forward with that? waiting for someone to forgive. Because see, here's the thing. If someone hurts me, someone sins against me, it's kind of out of my control whether or not they repent. 
I can't force, just because Dan's sitting right there, if Dan sinned against me, I can't force him to repent to me. What do I do living in that moment? I think these words tell us what to do. Real quickly, look at this. Okay, think about this with me. In the context of verse 34, when did Jesus pray for the people and when did they repent? They prayed before. Jesus prayed before. Part of what that tells us, part of what that communicates to us is that God's mercy is the starting point of our confession. It starts with His mercy. He's the one that leads us. Romans 2, 4, His kindness leads us to repentance. That's a huge truth that's not just for something we sing in a song. It's something we need to have in our minds, in our souls. Because part of what that means is, why did I repent? Because God showed His mercy to me before I was repenting. We need to hang on to that truth. Because if someone sins against me, I need to realize, guess what? They sinned. And ultimately, folks, understand this. Every sin is against God, ultimately. Genesis chapter 20, verse 6. Genesis chapter 39, verse 9. Psalm chapter 51, verse 4. Make it clear, every sin is against God. So when someone sins against me, what do I do? I can, while I'm waiting for them to repent... I can lean into the mercy God shared with me and I can begin to join Jesus in praying for them to repent, for them to seek the forgiveness of God. Now folks, I am not saying deny your hurt. Never deny your hurt when you are hurt by sin. Never. But please realize the biggest hurt isn't your hurt or my hurt. The biggest issue is they've offended the living God. They've sinned against Him. And the only solution for them is the mercy of God and the forgiveness of God. I've been given both of those. So if I lean into the mercy of God, all of a sudden I'm equipped to be ready to forgive them. God can be bringing His mercy into me, helping me with my hurt, and moving them praying for them. I, I may never see that prayer answered, but I'm equipped to do it because of His resources in my life. Real quickly, let me wrap up by saying this. I want you to take at least two things home. One thing I want you to take home this morning is this. God has a profound love for you. Even though you are blind, even though you are needy, He's a profound love for you. And if, if you're here this morning and you have not trusted the Lord Jesus, can I beg you, can I ask you, there's a lot of people in this room that would love to help you this morning trust Christ. So if you haven't and you're like, I've got to do that, grab somebody. Because He loves you and you need that love. I need that love. We need to take His love with us. The second thing I want you to take with you is this, is the cross. The cross literally makes it possible and then empowers us to forgive. Probably one of the hardest things any of us will ever have to do 
The cross empowers us to bring that to life. How many of our families need forgiveness? How many of our workplaces need forgiveness? How many of our former relationships need forgiveness? And God is equipping us and empowering us to be forgivers. Please, take that with you home. Let's pray. Father, I am so grateful to you for the love that you share that goes way beyond what I deserve. And Lord, you also, out of your graciousness, you don't just say, oh, I love you. Lord, you want to infuse our lives. You want to empower us. You want to help us to live lives that please you. I pray we would long for that. I pray we would long for you. I pray as we listen to the voice of Jesus, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. May we hear his love. May we receive his mercy and forgiveness. And may we be empowered to live life. Thank you for the power of the cross. Thank you that we stand forgiven. And thank you then that we can walk into life with you. In the precious name of the Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thank you for coming.